0: Listening to the Martial Brain, the podcast that explores the intersection between the martial arts, science, critical thinking, skepticism, and that wacky organ that floats inside our skulls in a pool of cerebral spinal fluid, making life unpredictably inspiring, infuriating, and sometimes just batshit crazy. I'm Jeff Westfall for the Martial Brain. The Forgotten War Part 1 The Philippines, the USA, War, Colonialism, and the Martial Arts Among the martial arts to which I've dedicated a large part of my life are the Filipino martial arts. I have a great affection for them, for the people from whom I learned them, and a great admiration for the culture and people of the Philippine Islands. The relationship between the United States and this archipelago, these 7,500 islands, 8,000 miles away, is special. Our cultures are interwoven. Our martial arts cultures are especially interwoven. The epic story of that relationship began in war a little over a century ago. So, what is the story? Well, as I said a bit over a 100 years ago, the United States fought a war that I just bet many of you have never even heard of. A war that had a significant effect on our military and our culture. And as I already mentioned, also had a very significant effect on the martial arts in the U.S. and I dare say in the rest of the world. This war was the Philippine-American War. It came right on the heels of three other wars, each of which is also part of the story. So, to properly tell this story, I need to tell you a bit about these other wars. In the 1890s, the United States was finally fully recovered from the Civil War and was a growing industrial and military power, comparable to many of the great European powers. One thing that America lacked, though, that many of the great powers had, was an overseas empire, and calls for the USA to gain one were growing louder by the day. There was resistance to empire as well, though. After all, the United States owed its origin, even its very founding philosophy, to the act of rebelling against an empire. To then turn around and become one seemed a betrayal of foundational principles to some Americans. People like the great writer Mark Twain were in this camp, and were vocal critics of such overseas ventures. Meanwhile, the Civil War was a mere three decades past, and Southern politicians were in the midst of successfully building white supremacist social and political structures. The last thing they wanted was for rights to be granted to millions of brown people in potential overseas colonies most especially the right to emigrate to and within the continental United States. So there was opposition to the acquisition of colonies from that quarter as well. On the other side were people like Teddy Roosevelt, who at the time was the assistant secretary of the Navy, and a quickly rising political star in the United States. The American Navy was modern and powerful, and Roosevelt really wanted to use it on somebody and then the USA could keep the territories gained for its empire. The number of potential overseas colonies that didn't already belong to an existing empire was small, and growing smaller quickly. Even Germany and Italy, each of which had only become a fully united country in the last couple of decades, were getting in on the action, especially in Africa but resting control of an area away from its native inhabitants was only one way to grow an empire. Another was to take territories away from another imperial power, preferably one whose power was on the decline. Spain fit the bill perfectly. It ruled an overseas empire that included the Philippines, Guam, Puerto Rico, Cuba, some African colonies, and a number of very small Pacific islands. And Spanish military power was most definitely not what it once had been. And that brings us to the first of the three wars I must mention before getting to the Philippine-American War. The Philippine Revolution In the 377 years that Spain ruled over the Philippine Islands, the brave but outgunned Filipino people rose up in rebellion against the Spanish many times. Nine of those times are written in the history books as major rebellions. Countless lesser rebellions occurred, and the southern Philippines, the mostly Muslim region, was never truly conquered by the Spanish, no matter what the maps in historical atlases show for those dates. In 1896, the last of these major rebellions began. It's known by various names, like the Tagalog War and the Philippine Revolution. It got started when the Spaniards discovered a Filipino secret society that was dedicated to revolution. A number of regions rose up to fight, but after little more than a year, the Filipino rebels and the Spanish negotiated a truce, the terms of which included a cessation of the violence, a relocation of the surviving leaders of the rebellion out of the country to exile in Hong Kong, a payment to the exiled leaders of a large sum of money, and a promise of reforms from the Spanish. The Filipino rebel leaders bided their time in Hong Kong, purchasing arms and supplies in anticipation of resuming their rebellion in the future. That brings us to the second war that will set up our topic, the Cuban War of Independence. The people of Cuba also had a history of attempting rebellion against the Spanish crown they fought three rebellions against Spain over the course of their status as a colony. And the third one was going on at the same time in the 1890s that the Filipino people were fighting the Spaniards as well. So Spain was fighting against rebels in two separate colonies, each of which was thousands of miles from Spain and from each other. Now to the people and most of the government of the United States, The Filipino rebellion on the other side of the planet was of little consequence, far removed as it was from their typical sphere of awareness. Cuba, on the other hand, was only 90 miles away from the United States. Centuries of lucrative trade relations, both legal and illegal between them, made American commerce very aware of the rich resources in Cuba. When Cubans rose up in rebellion against the Spaniards, many Americans were sympathetic to their cause. American newspapers covered the story in detail, being sure to play up any Spanish atrocities, and there were more than a few, while downplaying those committed by Cuban fighters. One of the Spanish atrocities involved gathering Cuban non-combatant civilians into concentration camps, where many of them died of disease and malnutrition. The American newspapers described these camps in detail, and the American public was rightly incensed by them. Most American newspapers were part of a chain owned by millionaire William Randolph Hearst. Hearst was a very powerful man, and completely sympathetic to the Cuban side of the war. Calls for American intervention were frequently printed in his papers. The U.S. government, led by President William McKinley, was not quite yet ready for war. Nevertheless, in an attempt to show the flag and keep an eye on American interests in Cuba, The armored battle cruiser, the USS Maine, was dispatched to Havana, ostensibly to make a friendly visit to Cuba. Then, in February of 1898, the USS Maine blew up in Havana Harbor, killing three quarters of the 374 men aboard. A U.S. Navy Board of Inquiry was quickly convened and soon declared that the ship was sunk by an external object, a mine. This despite the objections of a number of experienced officers who believed that it had been a spontaneous explosion in the storage compartments called bunkers that contained the coal that fueled the ship. Coal dust was notorious for exploding spontaneously. A few further investigations have taken place in the intervening years with various results. We just don't know for sure whether the ship was blown up by the Spanish, or whether it was a tragic accident. It certainly was not in the interest of Spain to blow up an American naval vessel, but humans don't always do logical things. But still, most experts agree that it's unlikely that it was anything but an accident. In any case, after the explosion of the Maine, war fever rapidly ramped up in the U.S. A rallying cry, especially in the Hearst chain of newspapers, for those in favor of war went, Remember the Maine! To hell with Spain. It's important to point out that there were cooler heads here and there in the U.S. There was significant resistance to the push for war. Much of the American business community, having just survived a serious depression, was worried that war would threaten economic stability. But the sinking of the USS Maine was the straw that broke the camel's back. It was only a matter of time before William Randolph Hearst's newspapers fired up the uneducated masses to a sufficient fever pitch that political pressure for war was impossible for the government to resist. In April of 1898, a joint U.S. congressional resolution demanding that Spain remove its troops from Cuba and authorizing President McKinley to use military force to remove them was passed. The next day, the United States and Spain mutually declared war on each other. And that brings us to the third and last of the three wars necessary to understand to understand the Philippine-American War. The Spanish-American War. And I will tell you about it next time. Anyway, that's what I think. But I could be wrong. Let me know what you think, and check out old episodes of the Marshall Brain podcast my website rpmartialarts.com I'm Jeff Westfall for the Martial Brain the Martial Brain is produced by Raging Squirrel Productions in association with the Rising Phoenix Martial Arts Academy if you like the podcast and would like to help it grow Go to iTunes or Stitcher and give it an honest rating and review. Contact me with questions about the martial brain or about the Rising Phoenix Academy at my website, rpmartialarts.com.